Hello and welcome to The North in Numbers, a podcast that gets the human stories behind the stats. I'll be your host, Annie Goke. As a data journalist, I write local news stories based on statistics for regional papers up and down the country. Each fortnight, I'll be looking at the figures that particularly affect the North and speaking to experts and those most affected to get their take on the issues facing our communities. To keep things COVID safe, all interviews have been conducted online via video call. This week, we're taking a look at house prices, which have been soaring during the pandemic, particularly in the North. You'll hear from people across the region about their experiences of buying and selling in the last year, while a South Manchester real estate agent and a property expert from Zoopla offer their thoughts on what's driving these trends, as well as giving hints and tips for people looking to buy or sell right now. There was one house that was two streets away from where we were living. We went, had a viewing, and they were saying, you know, oh, we've got another 10 viewings today. We've got 20 booked in tomorrow. We've already had an offer, and we were the second people to view it. Um, And on that one, we kind of, we made a best and final offer. Um, And I think the estate agent at the time kind of laughed and was like, yeah, that's not going to do it. (laughs) Because people had offered so much more than what we did. Um, And we had the same with, with another house, put an offer in on that and got told that we were massively outpriced. Amelia Bonner bought a new home in Liverpool at the end of last year, and as you'll hear, her experience of buying has been a common one. With huge demand for properties, limited supply and massive growth in house prices seen across the north. Estate agent Maurice Kilbride covers several areas in South Manchester and says that what we've seen over the last year goes against what many were forecasting at the start of the pandemic. When I look back at the headlines now, and I remember at the time, um, I think it was there was various commentators and what I call uh, housing market experts who was, uh, you know, sort of predicting Armageddon. And uh, there was newspaper headlines that um, you know, house prices were going to drop 30 percent and the, the market was going to collapse. And, you know, obviously all these things you think, gosh, you know, if this happens, it's going to be terrible or whatever. There's going to be no market. And it was quite the contrary. You know, it it, it is flown in the face of everything anybody predicted. It is true that the housing market was affected at the start of the pandemic, with a huge dip in sales seen initially. Figures from the Land Registry reveal that across the north, there were only around 6,500 homes sold in April last year during the first full month of lockdown. That's less than half the number sold in the same month of 2019, when there were around 17,700 sales across the region. However, the situation quickly changed, with nearly 9,300 sales in May and more than 13,600 in June, and the number had returned to pre-pandemic levels by the autumn. As Gronya Gilmore, head of research at Zoopla, explains, coronavirus has actually led to an increase in the number of people wanting to move. Within two weeks of going into lockdown, we could see that buyer demand, so that's people wanting to buy a home, was starting to rise. Now, we know that the whole market was in lockdown, everything was in lockdown, but it was building and building. So as soon as the housing market, which was one of the first industries to open up, as soon as it opened up, all of that demand came to the fore. So really high levels of buyer demand, and that has since translated into very high levels of activity. So that was the pure impact of the pandemic. And since then, we've really got under the skin of why that's happening and really it's a once in a generation reassessment of home people have spent longer in their homes over the last 12 months than any other time they're thinking do we want to live here can we live somewhere else will my work allow it do we need more outside space more inside space and then added to all of that you have um, different commuting um, outlooks if you're working differently um, maybe wanting to be closer to family given what's happened And also then the government came in with a stamp duty holiday starting last July. So that really encouraged people thinking, if I'm going to make the move, let's try and lock in those stamp duty savings. The pandemic is also affecting the types of houses that people are wanting to buy, as Morris has seen. 
we've had a lot more uh, requests and people inquiring for properties with an extra room, for instance, downstairs that they can use as a home office. And I think the other thing that I've seen a lot of is people wanting outside space, because obviously with the lockdown, if you didn't have a garden, it was a bit of a nightmare. Needing more space as a result of the pandemic was why Amelia wanted to move in the first place. So we moved to home working kind of in the space of 24 hours and it became apparent within about two hours of our first shift that it was not going to work very comfortably. Um, The house that we were living in before had kind of one living space that was where we were eating and cooking and kind of relaxing and watching TV and that space became an office and it meant that if you were trying to relax or have a meal or watch television, someone was working and you had to walk through the office to watch TV. And if you were cooking a meal, you were distracting the person that was working. It meant neither of us could have a day off ever, really. And as much as I love my partner, being sat one metre away from him for six months was too much. So it got quite difficult. Um, And I think also with kind of gyms being closed and having to exercise at home, we had no space for that either. Um, And I think a house that suited us perfectly um, very quickly did not suit us perfectly. So we decided it was time to move. Lockdown also affected the choice of property for Alex Evans, who bought a house in Leeds in September. The decision to buy a house together was made before the pandemic. So we were always going to move in together and buy a house. But I think what we were looking for maybe was slightly influenced by what happened because my fiancé was working at the kitchen table. I was in a spare room, but it was only a two-bedroom house. Um, and I didn't have much of a garden. It was only like a little concrete nightmare. The new house, we've got four bedrooms. We've got an office each and the garden's much bigger. And those are things that perhaps we weren't, wouldn't have been thinking about as much had it not been for how the pandemic affected us. Hannah Graham, who bought a house in Newcastle, again in September, was similarly affected. I think we would have stayed longer if it hadn't been for the pandemic. You know, the flat we were living in was a two-bedroom flat. It was very nice. It was in a lovely old converted brewery in uh, in Jesmond in Newcastle. So it was a lovely area. It had a big shared garden. But with working from home, we didn't have an office space. Um, you know, you're working from your living room and then, you, you know, you, you switch off and you're sitting on the sofa and your desk's right there. You kind of can't turn off. So we really wanted somewhere that had more space and also that had a a private garden because again in the pandemic being able to be outside became a big thing. The politics of shared spaces I think in a pandemic got very who could be in the garden and when and whether you could talk in the garden. It was all quite intense. In particular the market is most competitive right now for larger homes with more bedrooms and gardens are at a premium. It's a trend that Gronje has seen at Zoopla. What you saw particularly was real demand for family-sized houses. Houses typically that come with a garden, parking, some of the most popular things that are looked on within the Zoopla website. And um, also more space, more bedrooms. Is that extra bedroom going to be a home office or is it for the family? So it's family houses in particular. Three and four bed family houses have been particularly popular over the last 12 months, leading to a bit of an issue because there's a bit of an undersupply of these properties coming to the market now. The high demand and low supply is affecting buyers like Anjum Iqbal, who is currently trying to buy a family home in Greater Manchester, but with little success. We, we actually got some criteria like a three bedroom, either a semi detached, or if we can get a four bedroom, then we can get a four bedroom. But we want to drive and also a bit reasonable size back garden. Those are the things that are hard to find. Or if, if, they are, if they're available, as soon as they come available, they get sold within a week or two. While larger family homes have been in high demand, smaller starter homes, typically favoured by young couples who are first-time buyers, were not as popular during the start of the pandemic. 
We definitely saw that first time buyer demand to be squeezed a little bit by home movers. So first time buyers are a really important part of our market in terms of getting onto the housing ladder, buying homes and keeping that churn going in the housing market. But we saw their number squeeze because the mortgage availability just wasn't there, especially for those people with 5% deposits, because it's a really uncertain time economically. Alex saw the effects of this when he came to sell his property before upsizing. The demand was, I think, probably a little slower, I felt, than it would have been in the normal situation. Because I think because mine was a first time buyer house, I think there were probably people who the target market for that, a lot of them would have been on furlough or had lost their jobs. So I actually think it was a little slower on my end of the market selling that house. It was only a cheap two bed in Sheffield. So I did get sort of seven or eight viewings in a couple of months, but I think it would have been fat and I would have had more viewings had it not been for COVID. Matt Jackson, who lives in Congleton, also had a similar experience when he sold his home. It didn't seem to have many viewings for a bit. People are a bit hesitant. The, the estate agent said a lot of people were in a point where they didn't yet have a mortgage. So they were like, usually this is something they said that they would usually be able to get more viewers if they had people able to get a mortgage quicker. Uh, and I guess that was almost an issue with the house and the audience available as well, because it was a not a massive house. It was the kind of house that an estate agent would say it was like a young sort of couple. And you're thinking, that's great. But um, statistically, I imagine most of the people that you want to be targeting to in the first part pro- possibly would have been furloughed. And then in the second part would have been struggling to get a mortgage so that initial bit was like right come on how do we drum up support knowing that the people we'd usually be aiming for might not be available. Meanwhile Alice Richardson was on the other side of the problem as a first-time buyer who bought a shared ownership property in Macclesfield at the start of the pandemic. The mortgage process for us was really slow and I know that you know kind of shared ownership mortgages are a smaller market anyway but it was like all the lenders just pulled the plug. I mean, shared ownership is sometimes hard to come by anyway because, you know, lenders would prefer just to give to cash buyers or to people that have had mortgages before, particularly first-time buyers. I think in the circumstances, there was this real sense of, of lenders being quite nervous. And that was what my mortgage advisor said to me. She said, you know, they're all, they're all backing out in a way that they just never used to. You know, the products that were on the market six months ago were no longer there. They just pulled them. It wasn't just first-time buyers who were affected by the lack of mortgages available. Hannah was also impacted. I sold my house on the 19th of September. Um, that day, I sort of rang to get an offer in principle so we could start looking. Gave our joint incomes, went through the million questions they have to ask about what you spend money on. Offer in principle, yep, absolutely. 10% deposit, 100% fine. And so we used our budget sort of for that. We found a house significantly under budget that we wanted um, we rang sort of saying, OK, you know, let's get a, a proper offer in place. Who's the best person to go with? And they said, oh, no, no 10 percent deposits to be had, essentially, which was a massive scramble. I mean, luckily, we'd chosen something that was under our maximum budget. And we were very fortunate to be in a position to find 15 percent, which by that point was the minimum we could have had. There, there was a point where I was thinking, are we going to have to pull out of this altogether? And as I say, we, we had the offer in principle and we spoke to the mortgage broker and he said, yeah, it's been changing so quickly. And he said, to be honest with you, you're lucky you found something now, because at, at that stage, it looked like it might get even worse. Now, I think it's probably a lot better now. Um, obviously, the government is supporting some 5% deposits and stuff like that. But it seemed to be changing so quickly that you couldn't make plans based on it. As Morris explains, hesitancy from lenders was partly why it took a little while for sales to pick up at the start of the pandemic, but that's been changing in recent months. Lenders were 
still quite stringent. This was the one thing that was holding it back. Um, despite the market being really, really good, the lenders were understandably a little bit nervous and twitchy as to what might happen. But they have slowly but surely realised that the, there is uh, incredible demand in the marketplace and they've introduced and released more products. So now, you know, sort of even 90, 95% mortgages are being available to any first-time buyers and buyers of um, any residential properties, not just on new build. But uh, yeah, that definitely had an effect as well. Matt saw the effect of these changes to lending when he was finally able to sell his house at the start of the year. It was becoming slightly easier for people to buy when the house eventually sold. It seemed to hit a point where it was like, right, you've got uh, six people this week. And it went from like, okay, one every now and again, right? There's like three weeks and it's like, where are anyone? And then it was like, boom, suddenly everyone was there. You've got three people in a day. You've got to sanitize it between every viewing. Um, but yeah, there was a sudden influx before it sold of people sort of looking around and it, it picked up for sure. However, as Gronje points out, this has led to an even greater imbalance in the housing market. So we have seen the number of mortgages available for first-time buyers starting to rise again, especially those with smaller deposits. And so they're now active in the market too. But I mentioned that lack of supply coming to the market. First-time buyers got nothing to sell. So they're just pure demand coming into the market as well. So that's sort of making that supply-demand imbalance even worse. And as Morris explains, other factors have also been amping up the level of demand. And then, of course, the Chancellor... Uh, decided to give the house market a rocket launch by uh, introducing the stamp duty holiday, which he then extended in November. So it just carried on. So it was pretty good till November and then went absolutely astronomical from November through to, um, you know, now. Some potential buyers, like Anjum and Greater Manchester, feel that the stamp duty holiday has made it more difficult for them to find a property. The stamp duty um, freeze, it came across that it was supposed to help people buying houses. But I think it's really had the opposite effect, made it more difficult. So the demand's gone high, the supply has remained the same. And as a result, the prices have gone up. Uh, or or you, you're, you're in a battle with other people wanting to buy because of this the stamp duty freeze and the fact that it's going to come to an end soon. As already mentioned, it's the high demand and low supply that have led to record increases in house prices in the last year. Figures from the Land Registry show that across the UK, house prices rose by 8.9% in the year to April 2021, which was up massively from an annual increase of 0.7% in April 2020. Within that, the North saw the biggest increases, particularly the North East, where prices have increased by a massive 16.9% in the year to April, despite having decreased by 4.4% the year before. In Yorkshire and the Humber, they were up by 12%, and in the North West, they were up by 11.8%. In comparison, in London, prices were up by just 3.3%. Meanwhile, of the top 10 property price hotspots recently identified by Rightmove, where prices have increased the most in the last year, seven were in the northwest, including Wallasey and Birkenhead in Merseyside, Lee and Oldham in Greater Manchester, Lancaster and Rosendale in Lancashire, and Sandbach in Cheshire. Gronje from Zoopla explains what's been behind the regional divide. We've just seen that rise over the last 12, 18 months, especially in the more northern areas and in northern cities have really led the way. And it has a lot to do with, I mean, we talked about that demand supply imbalance. You know, obviously, if there's a lot of demand for something that's um, quite scarce, that can put upward pressure on pricing. But also where affordability lets prices rise, because we have mortgage lending now where there are very, you know, there are strict stress tests and you can't 
borrow just any figure you like. You have to be, um, your affordability rates have to be right, your earnings have to be right. But where there's where the capital values have been lower and there's more headroom for growth, that is where we've seen some of the highest rates of growth over the last 12 to 18 months. That's exactly what happened in the areas that Anjum is looking at, which are now seeing fast rising prices despite previously being affordable. People are crazy in this area. They just want to buy anything. Cheatham Hill, Crumsall and Presswick. Those three areas are quite uh, in high demand at the moment for some reason. You, you have asking prices. You meet that asking price and sometimes you go five, ten thousand above that and still, still no success. So there's a lot of competition out there. It's unprecedented because in the past these, the houses were quite cheap. Prestwich in particular has been identified by Rightmove as being one of the most sought-after neighbourhoods in the country at the moment, along with four other areas in Greater Manchester, Didsbury, Chalton, Heaton Moor and Bramall. Wirral in Merseyside and Horsforth in West Yorkshire also made it into the top ten. The high demand and low supply has now led to what experts are calling a frenzied market. There just is no houses available, and if you put a house on the market, you can get sort of 30, 40, 50 people within half a day wanting to go and view that property. It's like an absolute scrum for people wanting to come and get properties, even properties that necessarily may not be that popular, are suddenly becoming incredibly popular just because of the imbalance of supply to the ridiculously high demand. I've never seen it quite like this, where the demand has been at these sort of unbelievable levels and the lengths people will go to to try and find a property or get a property. Amelia has been on both sides of the frenzy when she was selling one house and buying another in Liverpool. Yeah, it was it was wild to be honest when we got the estate agent out to value the house he was very good at managing our expectations in saying you're going to be absolutely inundated you're going to have people knocking on the door asking to view the house who haven't booked viewings, people that you've turned down for viewings. We expected to sell within a week when they came to value the house and kind of told us the price they wanted to put it on the market for. It was quite a bit more than we'd paid and we'd only moved into it 18 months earlier. So we hadn't been in the property long and hadn't expected kind of that much to be added onto the value of it because we had done nothing to it. So that was crazy. And just the demand was absolutely wild. We had people coming to view it and making us offers in our living room kind of wanting to not go through the estate agents um because they said they'd been turned down for so many properties they couldn't even get in the door for viewings um and the the sense of desperation was real among <laughs> people that were viewing the house but then we quite quickly realized that we felt the same um when we were then going to look at places because we you know you'd get turned down for viewings you'd you'd tell them we've got an offer accepted on our house we've got a mortgage in principle we've got you know a 20 percent deposit and they wouldn't even let you through the door. There were some houses where they were asking for only cash buyers, which I find absolutely mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah, the desperation and the kind of clamour for viewings and to make offers, and also the kind of the best and final culture that seems to have become really pervasive is not pleasant because it's just, it's a stressful process anyway when you add the kind of the mind games and the mental wrangling of best and final onto it. It's really difficult. Hannah had a similar experience while buying in Newcastle. We looked at one house, we booked... Um, a viewing um, and we couldn't make it on the day that we'd planned and we rang the woman to ask if we could do it the next day she said no because she didn't need to because literally within that day she'd had six seven different sets of people come to look at it so there was just no need and there was no you know offering under the asking price kind of thing because everyone could get more than it I have a friend who lost out on a property because she offered the asking price and there were people offering £20,000 over it this situation is not uncommon. In fact, Morris estimates that around 75% of properties he sells are currently being sold for more than the asking price. 
Sale prices have gone through the roof. Uh, yeah, it's it's been quite staggering um, what we've seen. We've had a couple of properties where we've had them on the market and they've gone for forty, fifty thousand pounds above the asking price. They're probably not even worth that, but people have got so frenzied. There's been so many offers that it ends up in a situation where we're having to invite best and final offers, which then gets into an auction situation and people are offering some crazy prices to 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 just get a property things may have started to calm down slightly with house price increase peaking in march according to the land registry figures although these only go up to april so far however as gronje as zupler explains demand is still very high there's still by higher levels of buyer demand that we would have in any sort of more normal market conditions you know back in 2017 2019 we're still way above where we were back in those more normal market conditions. Separate figures from the nationwide house price index for June also suggest there has been a further acceleration in house price growth over the summer, with the annual rate of increase now the highest seen in nearly 20 years. Both Amelia and Hannah have seen house prices continue to climb where they've bought. Some friends of mine have just offered on another house on this street, so it will be about about six months after we put our offer in, and they've now offered 20% on top of what we paid. So the house was listed at the price that we paid, which was 10% over, and they've now offered over again on that. So I think kind of how much the bubble is inflating is absolutely wild, but that's in the space of six months um, that people are offering above what we offered, which was already above the asking price. So I think that was quite stark to see because it's on the same street the exact same house um so I find that absolutely crazy there are other houses that have sold on my street and the street is um they're old miners houses and they're all they all look exactly the same essentially so you know it's all kind of the same thing and the prices that they're going for on the street are way higher than what we paid you know even sort of six months later and um, one of my neighbors made an offer after we did and she she was green with envy when she heard what we'd paid basically because it's just changed that quickly. Most of the people we spoke to have managed to buy a house despite the frenzy but for some people it hasn't been so easy. I asked Anjim if he feels like he's being priced out of the area he wants to live in. Yeah yeah definitely and I'm I'm looking away because I've got a house I've got a reasonable equity in it more than 50% equity in my current house. So it won't be an issue getting a, you know, a deposit or anything like that. It's just finding that house and getting an offer accepted. That's all. While Anjum is in a good position as he owns his current home, first-time buyers are not so lucky. The latest report from Nationwide highlights that house prices are close to a record high relative to average incomes. This is important because it makes it even harder for prospective first-time buyers to raise a deposit. For example, a 10% deposit is over half of a typical first-time buyer's income. A potential buyer earning the average wage and saving 15% of their take-home pay would now take five years to raise a 10% deposit. The improving availability of mortgages for those with a small deposit is helping some people over this hurdle, but it is still very challenging for most. Caroline Taylor is trying to buy a house in Tameside, where she currently lives with her parents. Even though she has a deposit saved and a mortgage offer in principle, she's still struggling to get her foot in the door. To be honest, it's a bit of a nightmare. Like, I just feel so worked up all the time because for me, there's a goalpost to even be able to view a house. Like, I ring up. If I'm lucky, I can book in. However, a couple of days before it's due to my viewing slot, I usually get a phone call and say, "Hi, really sorry, but we have to cancel because the property's already been sold." So I've not even—I've managed to view literally three or four houses ever since I even started looking, and it's just 
it's just ridiculous. I can't even get to view them, never mind put an offer in. The frenzied market is pushing prices past her budget. I mean, th- there was one house that I put an offer in. I went 5000 over the asking price a few months ago. The price kept going up and up and up. And I said, I can't add any more in. It needed about £10,000 work doing to it because it was it needed modernising. And the, the estate agent rang me and said, I'm so sorry. Somebody has basically come in, offered a high, crazy price. The seller has obviously seen the pound signs and has seen how much they can get the house for. Of course, if they can get away with that, they can do. Caroline feels that the current housing market is seriously holding her and other potential first-time buyers back. People like me cannot move forward. And the thing is, people aren't accepting the asking price. People are not offering just the asking price. They're offering £20,000, £30,000 over. And the thing is, because I'm a first-time buyer... I get looked down upon. It's not the fact people are looking into, you know, oh, I really want to give this this house um, to a first-time buyer. Nobody's doing that because you've just seen the pound signs, which I get, but it's no good for us trying to start our life, you know. Morris acknowledges that it's a problem. But first-time buyers are being priced out of those areas, undoubtedly, because the prices have gone through the roof. And, you know, let's be honest, people's salaries don't keep pace with house prices you know people aren't getting 26 30,000 a year increases in their salaries sadly so yeah it is difficult there is no doubt um that the really nice areas that a lot of people have been brought up would like to stay in are becoming increasingly difficult and that's one of the the, the downsides of a you know a market that's as overheated as it, it currently is for Caroline, it's exacerbating an existing problem of adults in their 30s not being able to get on the housing ladder. I think this is going to be our generation thing. Anyone our age is literally on hold because people that want to move in with a partner or start a family or something like that, you can't do that if you're living in a single room, you know, with your full family. So I think it is, it's going to be a generation thing because we can progress in our life until we've got that extra space. That's not to say that all first-time buyers are going to struggle to make a purchase. As Gronya explains, in some cases, being a first-time buyer can be an advantage. If you're a buyer um, in this market and people are trying to sell quickly in order to make their purchase quickly, there is definitely an added benefit there of having no chain behind you. And, And those who can get ahead and prepare their offer clearly and have a lot of paperwork done up front, um, have their mortgage finance agreed in principle, it, they will be putting themselves on the front foot when they come to make an offer. So sometimes, as you as you rightly point out, it's not all about pounds and pence. Sometimes it can be people who need to make a move quickly, choosing the buyer who's going to be able to move quickly with them. Unfortunately, even if you have an offer accepted on a house, the impacts of the frenzied market don't stop there. Many people have seen serious delays when it comes to completing their purchase. What we have seen on our on, on the Zoopla website is from time a property is listed to sale agreed, so that's making an offer and having the seller say, yes, we agree, brilliant. That's taking much shorter timeframes than we've ever seen before. Weeks are being shaved off those timeframes compared to the more normal market conditions. However, at the next stage, which is that sale agreed to sell complete, where you do all the paperwork, um, where you, uh, you know, finalise that mortgage finance, where the conveyance or the solicitor has to get involved, that there's the same amount of people doing those jobs with a market that's the busiest that we have seen in a decade. So understandably, it's taking longer to get um, all of those completions through. It's something Amelia experienced when buying her house in Liverpool. 
we had that massively with conveyancing, um, which was a real issue. So obviously we offered in September, we didn't move in until March. And that just came down to the fact that it, obviously it was a long chain, but on both sides of our sale and purchase, even if it had just been kind of a three property chain, the delays were <laughs> ridiculous because understandably, you know, they were working from home, which is something we can relate to and we do it as well. But the difficulty of not being able to just go into the office, like when you couldn't get an answer from anyone on the phones or when you couldn't get someone to confirm that paperwork had been dealt with, it would have been so nice to be able to just walk into the solicitor's office and go, please, please, can you help us? But you weren't able to do that. And it was just a case of kind of emails bouncing back and not getting through to people. And whenever we kind of questioned the delays, we would be told, oh, it's because of the pandemic. And obviously that's then affected by the fact that so many more house sales are trying to go through. People were trying to rush it in before the stamp duty deadline. Um, so I imagine we weren't the only people chewing their ear off kind of saying, please, can you hurry ours through? So I think that was probably one of the many reasons for the delays. Hannah also had issues with her home in Newcastle. All the searches took weeks to come back. Um, communicating with the estate agents, with the solicitors, everyone just seemed to be so busy. When we tried to book surveys for this house, we had to ring so many different people just to get someone who was available to come in because everyone seemed to be booked up. It, it just seemed to be that the whole of Newcastle, as far as we could see, was buying and selling houses. And so anyone you wanted was busy. And even now we've moved in, um, as I say, it needs a bit of renovation. And, and a lot of the tradesmen that you ring, they're all busy as well. You, you're waiting weeks and weeks for, for things that I think normally you'd be able to do pretty quickly. Communicating with, um, with solicitors, with the estate agents, companies, things like that, it's all that little bit harder because you can't ring the office numbers, you're waiting for someone to answer their emails. I imagine it's the same at the council where the searches are coming in. Then again, you do sometimes wonder whether it's also not an excuse exactly but where there are delays people are always going to say it's the pandemic I think and I think I get the sense this is a process that takes a long time anyway. Matt was also sceptical that the delays he experienced in Congleton were wholly down to the pandemic. It's been three and well three and a half months of uh, all the legal mumbo jumbo kind of stuff. I mean there were some delays in like the conveyance inside from coronavirus and when I was after documents it was like well, this might take a bit longer because of COVID. I'm thinking, okay, I can kind of understand that. But also, we can't just stop everything and say coronavirus is happening. People have had to adjust. We've had to adjust. However, while buyers might be sceptical, the pandemic has undoubtedly had an effect when it comes to delays, as Morris explains. I think the problem is that the conveyancers didn't expect it to be quite as busy as it had been until obviously the, the Chancellor announced what he did and then it just exploded and a lot of firms weren't prepared for this and they had quite a lot of staff still on furlough so they've been bombarded and the numbers just they just can't cope with them and there have been delays and this causes problems and anxiety and more stress for people but the lenders can't cope with the volume of new loan inquiries and the solicitors are struggling to cope with the demands of the conveyancing so it is a balancing act trying to keep everybody happy and on side and trying to agree things. These delays caused issues for Alice when she bought in Macclesfield at the start of the pandemic. It felt like it hit the buffers sort of at the end of April. You know, they normally say it's about, what is it, eight weeks between putting in your offer and potentially moving in, you know, at completion date. But for us, that got dragged out, so I didn't end up moving in until July. So it felt like a really long process. It almost doubled that kind of process time from start to finish. 
and yeah it was it was quite frustrating you know I ended up having to pay I budgeted for a certain amount of rent that I'd have to pay in my mind and then ended up having to pay double that so you can imagine all the outgoings of paying for a house startup originally anyway it was quite you know substantial and then I was looking at you know potentially two grand's worth more of rent than I budgeted for so yeah it did it did cause some complications. And it's not just delays that are a problem. Difficulties with communication also put a spanner in the works for Alex when he was due to move to his new house in Leeds. We had a completion date set for the Friday and it was all due to go through and then my buyer's bank there seemed to be some issue or delay with the mortgage going through. Um, normally you get it within a day or so of completion but on the day it was supposed to complete um, I had all my stuff in a van on the driveway. The people we were buying from had all their stuff packed into a big haulage lorry and we all stood waiting around to get the green light and my buyer's bank for some reason just wasn't sending stuff through and trying to get hold of anyone was a nightmare because everyone at the bank was working from home um so and the huge like wait times on their helplines so that by my buyer was spending three hours four hours on hold trying to get hold of someone to to say you've got the mortgage through and in the end she ended up going down to a branch of hsbc hsbc to ask what was going on and i was tweeting at them just to find out someone could look at the case and get it through uh in the end we missed the completion date and my sellers had to the, the people we were buying from had to spend couple of thousand getting all their stuff into storage for the weekend we ended up eating out takeaway boxes over the weekend with all my stuff taken back out of the van put into the living room I waited to hope and hoped that it would go through on a Monday Um, it did go through on a Monday but yeah it was a huge problem having stalled the completion date because of the bank issues I don't think that would have happened if it wasn't been for lockdown because it would have been a lot easier to get hold of someone and sort it out It's hoped that the end of the stamp duty holiday will see many of these issues resolve themselves, although the freeze hasn't been the only contributing factor. As Gronier explains, it's likely that the market will continue to be affected for the foreseeable future. We do expect there to be an imbalance between demand and supply definitely through the next few months. I mean, it's a very localised market, I have to be clear. So the extent of it is different compared depending on where you are in the country. But overall, we do have more demand than homes being listed for sale, especially um, in for those family houses. So we do expect that to continue. It should continue to underpin pricing. In terms of activity, we, we forecast that this is probably going to be one of the busiest years in terms of home sales that we've seen since 2007. So that's since before the global financial crisis. We do expect that it might moderate, but it'll still be higher than normal levels because we've got the ending of those stamp duty holidays. But we still think we're in for a very busy year when it comes to the number of homes changing hands. Morris also thinks it will take some time for things to fully calm down. I think it'll take a while for this imbalance to correct itself. But I think slowly but surely, more people will come to the market and that will soften the, you know, the, the demand a little bit um, and people will have bought or gone off the idea or whatever and there won't be quite the frenzy that there is right now. With high demand and rising house prices expected to continue in the coming months, I asked Ronya if she could offer any advice for those looking to buy at the moment. Really think about when you're going into the market, make sure you're registering with your local agents, let them know that you're looking so you can be alerted when things come onto the market that might be of interest. And also think about your own personal circumstances, get ahead of the game to make yourself an attractive buyer. Because as you've quite rightly pointed out earlier, um, when it comes to selling at the moment, people want to make uh, quick progress. 
So make sure that you have as much done ahead of the game or upfront as you possibly can, get a lot of paperwork done upfront to make yourself an attractive option when you finally put that offer in on the home of your dreams. Morris also recommended visiting estate agents in person if you can, as they receive hundreds of emails about each property and are more likely to remember you if they meet you face to face. He also said it's a good idea to follow estate agents on Facebook and other social media, as many will post there about properties in advance. While they might not need quite as much advice in the current market, he also offered some pearls of wisdom for sellers. From a seller's point of view, and again, I I say to all our sellers, is the highest offer isn't always necessarily the best offer. You will get people who will try and, you know, outbid everybody else. Sometimes, you know, you might get somebody who's offered 10, 15,000 pounds more than the next buyer. So automatically as a seller, your temptation is great. We'll take the extra money. Who, who wouldn't? But that person is in that chain of 15. Or do you take the first time buyer who's offered a little bit less, but there's no chain? And it depends obviously on what your onward situation is as well. I think sellers just need to not always see the pound sign, but look at the merits of the position of the people who are offering. Thank you for listening to another episode of The North in Numbers, written and hosted by me, Annie Goke, and produced by Mark McGill. Thanks also to everyone who came on today's show to speak to me about their experiences. We'll be back on the 16th of July to explore the boom in distilleries that are seeing a renaissance across the North. The North in Numbers is a laudable production.